We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 241 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Tuesday, February 1st, 2022. A new month has begun on this, the last day, before the new name for the team, currently known for one more day, as the Washington football team comes out. This is the final day, the concluding chapter, the last stage, the grand finale, whatever you want to call it. This is it. No more Washington football team as of Wednesday morning at some time. Uh, We're not sure when. That hasn't been made clear, but the new name we know will be announced on Wednesday morning during the Today Show, which airs on NBC from 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. And if you, for whatever reason, didn't think that Commanders will be the new name, as I think Commanders will be the new name, uh, perhaps the following will change your mind. One of the great quarterbacks in Washington history, Joe Theismann, a friend of this podcast, was on with Damon Amendolara on CBS Sports Radio on Monday morning. And take a listen to this as it sure sounded like Joey T confirmed that Commanders will, in fact, be the new name. Commanders is a is a name that you know is going to be a hopefully one that people will talk about going forward. All right, so you you like the Commanders as the new team name, huh? I, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, there were there were so many different options, but once again, you, you know, it's trademark infringement. It's it's getting approval from different people. It's you know, if you choose a name, is there a group out there that isn't going to like it? I mean, there's so many things that you have to consider. Uh, commander, basically, it's Washington, D.C., a lot of commanders in Washington, D.C., in the Pentagon, and a lot of different branches of the service. And so to me, that's sort of the way I'm looking at it as a, as, as a positions of leadership uh, when it comes to the, the new name. Yeah, uh, one of two things was happening right there. Either Joe Theismann is part of an intricate campaign by the Washington football team to make us all think that Commanders will be the new name, when in fact Commanders will not be the new name, or Theismann let the cat out of the bag. 
Uh, I'll let you decide which is the case. What do you think is more likely, that the Washington football team is right now engaged in a supremely detailed campaign of subterfuge, or that this was just a screw-up, you know? Like the piece of paper with a commander's logo on the armrest of a chair on which Jason Wright was sitting being seen in a video was a screw-up. What scenario do you think is more likely? Is the Washington football team right now putting forth one of the great swerves of all time? Or has the Washington football team not exactly plugged every hole in this thing and Commanders has come out before Commanders was supposed to come out? I'll let you decide what you think truly is the case. I'll just tell you this. I will be very surprised if Commanders isn't the new name. But we'll see. Whatever the case, Wednesday is the date that the Washington football team has been pounding into our brains. 2.2.22. Well, the Tuesday on which this episode of the podcast is being released is 2.1.22. And if it's all right with you, we're going to talk a lot of actual football on this installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Is that all right with you? Is that okay with you that we talk some actual football? Uh, The rest of this week is going to be filled with non-football stuff regarding the Washington football team to talk about. Wednesday is the day on which the team announces its new name. Thursday is the day on which the team gets skewered via Congress. So Thursday is the day on which we'll have that roundtable with multiple former Washington football team employees before Congress detailing their experiences of workplace misconduct while working for Washington. So there's going to be a lot of non-football talk moving forward this week, although there is going to be a lot of talk about the Washington football team moving forward this week. And so I wanted to make this installment of the pod a true football show. And so coming up is a special guest, Washington football team analyst Mark Bullock, uh, who on his substack, markbullock.substack.com, has recently published a position group by position group breakdown of the Washington football team. Really good X's and O's analysis. If you want to really understand where Washington is at Uh, with its various position groups, uh, definitely want to check this out. You will hear detailed insight from Mark Bullock on Taylor Heineke, including how Heineke compares to the quarterbacks set to be available in free agency this offseason. You've heard me wonder, okay, all of this talk about, say, Mitchell Trubisky, would Trubisky even be an upgrade over Heineke? Mark's going to get into that. Uh, Mark's going to talk Terry McLaurin. Mark's going to talk Antonio Gibson. Mark's going to talk Washington's defensive line, including whether Washington should trade Deron Payne. Mark is going to talk William Jackson III, including the best explanation that I've heard for what went on with Jackson this season. Mark's going to talk Bobby McCain, so we're going to cover a lot of ground. Also on the show, next segment, in fact, I want to address something that has become kind of a thing in recent days. Uh, This idea that what the Cincinnati Bengals have done in going from the worst team in the NFL in the 2019 season to AFC champions for this 2021 season is an aberration and or isn't relevant to Washington and or isn't even representative of a quick turnaround. Uh, I've seen some of that, this idea of, hey, the Bengals were bad for years before they finally got good this season. Uh, The head coach, Zach Taylor, Only got hired three years ago, February 2019. So uh, that's when you count his rebuild as having started. Here's the deal. What the Bengals have done isn't as abnormal as some may think. Uh, What the Bengals have done, in fact, is representative of something that has become common in today's NFL, the quick turnaround. And this is something to be mindful of as a Washington fan as we now are in the third offseason of the Ron Rivera era. Although, as I'll discuss... 
uh, things are a little different for Ron as compared to how things are for a Zach Taylor or any of these other head coaches who've engineered quick turnarounds. Before we move any further, how about this from NFL insider Albert Breer of the MMQB in a piece that came out on Monday evening? Headline, the Washington football team has plenty to pitch to a veteran quarterback. And the piece goes on to read like a press release from the Washington football team. The piece is basically Breer listing all of the reasons for why Washington might be an attractive destination for a quarterback this offseason. Seriously, Ron Rivera clearly was the source for this piece, or at the very least, someone close to Ron was the source for this piece. But Ron couldn't have written this piece any better or more favorably for himself. Quote, the Washington football team is preparing to take a big swing at a quarterback this offseason for team sources. As to the effort to find its next franchise quarterback with big names like Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, and Deshaun Watson potentially out there, Washington feels like it has plenty to pitch such a veteran. While Brandon Sheriff's free agency looms, parentheses, it'll be open-minded approaching a new contract, WFT had the NFL's sixth-ranked offensive line for PFF last year, and its depth was proven through significant absences and led to the coaches going to their fourth center, fourth tackle, and fourth and fifth guards. Washington also has a 1,000-yard receiver, parentheses, Terry McLaurin, a 1,000-yard rusher, parentheses, Antonio Gibson, and other weapons on the offensive side of the ball, like Logan Thomas and Curtis Samuel, returning from injury. And the defense has a good foundation in its still young defensive line, particularly with Chase Young coming back from ACL surgery. Then there's the intangible factors, getting to live in the D.C. area and being on the front end of a team rebrand that'll be unveiled Wednesday. And the fact that the cap flexibility would give a quarterback a shot to bring a piece or two with him. So if you put all that together, there's reason to pay attention to Washington as the football team, again, throws its hat in the ring. There's no guarantee, of course, that Ron Rivera, Martin Mayhew, and Marty Herney reel in their big fish in March or April, and the failed pursuit of Stafford is proof. But if they don't land one, it sure won't be because their line isn't in the water, end quote. I mean, how about that from Albert Breer? Geez, Dan Snyder ought to put Albert Breer on payroll after that. Uh, Now, look, I don't disagree with a lot of what Albert Breer wrote. I actually think there is a legitimate pitch that Washington can put forth to an Aaron Rodgers or a Russell Wilson or a Deshaun Watson if, in fact, Washington is comfortable trading for Deshaun Watson or a Derek Carr. You know, like, it's not the hellhole here that people like to make it out to be. There are some good things about the Washington football team right now, certainly from a football standpoint, but I just got a kick out of reading that because, man, Breer didn't bring up any potential negatives. Breer didn't bring up any potential reasons why a Rodgers or a Wilson or a Watson might not want to come to Washington. And again, that just read like something from the Washington football team's media relations department. Uh, That was some job there by Albert Breer. But here's my biggest takeaway from this Albert Breer piece. Uh, that Ron Rivera or or whoever dictated uh, this press release to Breer is yet another flashing neon sign that Washington is all in on getting itself a franchise quarterback this offseason. There has never been an offseason like this for this team, an offseason in which the team basically is telling anyone who will listen 
that the team is all about upgrading at quarterback this offseason. There ain't no keeping the cards close to the vest in this situation. Uh, Washington is shouting to the heavens about its quest for a franchise quarterback. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Miles Braxton on the Washington football team. Writes, Miles, I'm a daily listener from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, having moved from my U Street apartment last year. I'm so impressed with the diligence with which you cover and analyze our begrudgingly beloved Washington blanks and appreciate that I can come to this podcast for Wizards and whose, parentheses, wahoo effing wah as well. I'm 25 and have been infatuated with the team, as in the football team, since I was seven. Yes, the 2003 year. That was 5-11. and 11, Not very good. Winning, I've seen little. I've had this interesting theory in my mind for some time now, and this is me seeking expert opinion. If there is a scenario in which we bring in a quarterback through free agency, like last year, it's hard to see Washington placing priority on taking a chance at a first-round rookie quarterback. Ron Rivera has been very forthcoming with the progress and future of Jamin Davis. He was picked to be our rangy, signal-calling middle linebacker, and even the coach who picked Jamin said he may be best at another position with less responsibilities. Sounds like a demotion if I've ever heard one. There are more proven linebackers in this year's draft class who will likely slip to the middle of the first round. Names like Devin Lloyd from Utah and Nicobe Dean from Georgia are in PFF's top 15 prospects. Ron has called the middle linebacker position the missing piece of the defense and is in search for someone with Luke Keekley-like abilities and leadership. Do you think coach takes the opportunity to double dip and use another first-round pick on a middle linebacker at number 11 since that is still a weak spot on the defensive side? Wow. (laughs) A second consecutive first-round pick being spent on a linebacker. Well, first of all, thank you for the email, Miles. I appreciate the nice words you wrote. Uh, Good to see U Street representation, even if it is coming by way of Florida. So I would say that I actually very much could see Washington this offseason both signing a quarterback via free agency and taking a quarterback in the first round of the 2022 NFL Draft. The class of free agent quarterbacks this offseason isn't very good. And Washington is trying to do something big at quarterback this offseason, as we just read from Albert Breer, uh, especially with the new name. And so simply signing, say, Mitchell Trubisky or Teddy Bridgewater wouldn't get people excited. Now, I could see Washington, say, both signing Trubisky and taking Kenny Pickett, you know, or Sam Howell or Malik Willis or whoever in the first round of the draft. So I don't think Washington would just sign a free agent quarterback this offseason. I think Washington would both sign a free agent quarterback this offseason and draft a quarterback this offseason. Now, if Washington traded for an Aaron Rodgers or a Russell Wilson or a Deshaun Watson or a Derek Carr, well, then I think that probably would be it for Washington at quarterback this offseason. But I don't think you can just sign a Trubisky or a Bridgewater or a Jameis Winston or a Marcus Mariota or whoever, and that be it at quarterback this offseason. As far as middle linebacker or Mike linebacker, uh, as I talked about on Monday's show, episode 240, Washington now has re-signed David Mayo. So he is an option for middle linebacker. I didn't say that he's a great option, but he is an option. Ron very much liked how Mayo did as the Mike in Washington's next to last game of the season, the 2016 loss 
to the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field in Week 17. Look, when it comes to the draft, I'm a big believer in going best player available. So if it happens to be that Washington stays put with the number 11 pick and on Washington's draft board, when the number 11 pick comes up, the number one player is a middle linebacker, uh, then okay, fine. But best player available to me factors in positional value. And the positional value of quarterback blows away the positional value of every other position in football, including middle linebacker. So if on Washington's draft board, when the number 11 pick comes up, a middle linebacker is ahead of all of the remaining quarterbacks in the 2022 draft, uh, then, well, that'll tell you a lot about what Washington thinks of those quarterbacks. But here's the deal. If there's a quarterback or if there are quarterbacks who Washington has high on its draft board, then Washington really needs to be trading up in the 2022 draft as opposed to staying at number 11 to potentially take a middle linebacker or whoever the best player available may be. Uh, Email from April on the new name that's coming for the team known for just another day as the Washington football team writes, April, I've never emailed you before, but I feel the need to air my grievances concerning the name change. It seems inevitable that the team will be announced as the Commanders on Wednesday. The more I think about this name, the more it bothers me. Here are some of my musings about fan gear. How are fans to dress to show team spirit as Commanders fans? Should we go commando and not wear underwear? Will we don on command strips and attach pictures to our clothing, maybe we can secure some of those loose railings at the stadium with command strips. Will our team colors change? Is everyone going to start wearing camo to the games? Is it now taboo to wear my old Redskins apparel? I just feel disillusioned, and I'm not sure how much more I can take before I stop following the team. Anyway, thank you for all that you do, Al. You make my commute to work enjoyable, and I really enjoy the podcast. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you very much for that, April. Well, we do know that the primary colors for the team are remaining burgundy and gold. Uh, That's a good thing. Those colors should never, ever change as being the Washington football team's primary colors. Uh, To me, it is in no way taboo to wear your old Redskins apparel. The team would be making a massive mistake and probably would incite a riot if the team ever came out and said that wearing Redskins apparel now was discouraged. The focus from the team needs to be on promoting the new apparel and getting people to buy the new apparel. And if the team does its job, which is to, you know, win and, you know, not be an embarrassment off the field, then people will buy the new apparel and the Redskins apparel will fade away as time goes on. There are a lot of people like you, though, April, who are not happy with the name change. And I'm going to talk about this dynamic in a lot more on Wednesday's show, episode 242. Uh, That installment of the podcast will be out in the 5 a.m. hour and thus will be out before the new name is announced. But that episode will be quite relevant throughout the day and far beyond that day because the episode will be a final goodbye to the name Redskins and will include a discussion about why exactly the name is changing. There are some important points about that that to me have kind of been lost in everything that's been going on. And honestly, these are points that people don't seem to want to talk about. And so I'm going to talk about them. And no, I'm not talking about whether the name Redskins is offensive. I'm not going to turn Wednesday's show into a name debate show. The debate is done. Okay, there's no going back. The the name's not going to be Redskins ever again. But the why behind the name change, 
I think is very much worth exploring. Uh, yes, Wednesday is a big day. A big day for the team known for not much longer as the Washington football team. Will the team get the rollout of the new name right? I'm almost as interested in that as I am in what the new name actually will be. Uh, and I do still think that the new name will be Commanders. But first impressions matter. They matter a lot. And if you own, run, or work at a business, you know that first impressions matter a lot. And if you want to grow that business, if your business needs to improve its overall customer experience, if you want to impress clients with the story that your business tells digitally, then put ImageWorks to work for you. ImageWorks is a full-service boutique web design branding and marketing company, and ImageWorks right now has a special offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. ImageWorks is located in the DMV, but ImageWorks serves the entire country. So no matter where you're listening, ImageWorks can work for you. So what's the offer? Well, ImageWorks doesn't want to sell you. ImageWorks wants to show you what it can do. And that starts with a free review of your website and SEO visibility to establish a base of where you are and map a chart for where you want to be. ImageWorks and you will plan with digital web and marketing goals that you can see live via ImageWorks customers portal. The portal shows you how all goals are performing in Google Analytics and how all marketing programs and website visitors are behaving. ImageWorks has a complete team of in-house designers, marketers, developers, art directors, strategists, and writers. You could put any or all of them to work for you. So here's what you do. Go to imageworkscreative.com and click on contact near the upper right corner. That's image, one word, works, plural, creative.com. Imageworkscreative.com. And make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast for the free offer. Also, you can call or text the owner of ImageWorks, Scott, at 703-928-7309. That's 703-928-7309. Uh, Scott's a big fan of all Washington, D.C. area teams. He's a regular listener of the podcast, and he loves brainstorming ideas and technology that can help you grow your business. He's been doing what he's doing since 1996. Go to imageworkscreative.com upper right corner, and make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast. ImageWorks, creative minds focused on one goal, your business success. All right, before we get to our special guest, Washington football team analyst Mark Bullock for an in-depth, high-level, scientific X's and O's breakdown of Washington, I want to discuss something that has been a big deal over the last, say, 24 to 48 hours. Uh, this is something that actually was triggered off a tweet that I put out on Sunday evening shortly after the Cincinnati Bengals 27-24 overtime win at the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC Championship game. I tweeted the following, quote, the Bengals went from the worst team in the NFL to AFC champions in two years. Not all rebuilds take three to five years. A franchise QB can change everything and quickly. Hashtag Washington football, end quote. And the tweet generated a lot of responses, more than I anticipated. And let me make clear, I wasn't the only person who tweeted something like this. This wasn't some genius revelation <laughs> that I put out there or anything like that. But one of the responses that I got was this idea that the Bengals' quick turnaround is abnormal and an aberration and in no way relevant to what's going on 
with the Washington football team. Now, I wouldn't say that this was like the prevailing response. The prevailing response was agreement with what I tweeted, but I did see enough of this response saying that what the Bengals have done is abnormal to where I wanted to address it on the podcast. So first of all, that tweet that I put out on Sunday evening was not meant as a shot at Ron Rivera. Uh, That tweet that I put out on Sunday evening was more so meant as a commentary on the impact that a franchise quarterback can have on an organization. I have been much more pro-Ron than I have been anti-Ron. I don't love everything that he has done, and I do have questions about things, but I also like a lot about Ron and about what Ron has done, and I very much want to see more of the Ron Rivera era before I cast full and definitive judgment on the Ron Rivera era. I am rooting like crazy for Ron Rivera to succeed as Washington head coach. Now, something that Ron has said multiple times is that a culture change takes three to five years. Uh, One of the times that he said this, in fact, uh, perhaps the most recent time that he said this was this past November 1st. Uh, This was during his day after the game Zoom press conference off the 17-10 loss at the Denver Broncos on Halloween. Uh, That loss dropped Washington to two and six. Here was Ron during that presser in response to a question on how he could get the Washington fan base to remain engaged with the team, given the growing perception that Washington was going backwards in the 2021 season. Well, uh, um, again, uh, last year was was an interesting year, an interesting way things kind of evolved and, and happened for us. But I'll say that the truth of the matter is it, it gets darkest before it gets brightest. We're going to have to go through this. It, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a thing that, that I've learned from being around military personnel is that it takes three to five years to completely change a culture. Okay? Futility doesn't just disappear overnight. And to, to create a positive environment, you know, takes time. It, it's, it's not going to happen overnight. You know, I, I look at the things that I did in Carolina. I look at some of the teams, and, and, and you sit there and you watch what Buffalo did, um, which I've talked about, and, and there are some things that, that you sit there and say, wow, you know, there's some similarities. But the one thing right now that, that really is probably the hardest thing for us to, 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 to figure out is, is do we have a franchise quarterback right now? Is that guy on our roster, or is that guy going to be in free agency? Is that guy going to be in the draft next year? So we've got to continue to work with what we have, continue to try and grow with what we have and try and develop who we have. Because if we do have, you know, what we're looking for and we can plug in a guy or that guy does develop on our roster, then we're going to be fine. And, you know, whether they, the fan base stays engaged or not, it's going to be up to them. Um, you know, we can do the best we can. We will play as hard as we can and we'll see what happens. But, you know, we're going to show up every Sunday and we're trying to give our best and hopefully win some football games and get their interest back. But, you know, that's all we can do. It, it's, it's, it's tough. It's hard. I get that part of it. But winning is really the one thing that fixes everything. All right. So that answer right there from Ron was nearly two minutes long. And there was a lot to that answer. Uh, Ron, early in the cut, said, quote, it gets darkest before it gets brightest, end quote. And there is truth in that. But Ron, in a cut, also heavily emphasized that this process takes time. Quote, it takes three to five years to completely change a culture. Futility doesn't just disappear overnight. End quote. Uh, there are two things going on 
with Ron saying that. Uh, A, he was speaking some truth. He's not lying with what he's saying. You know, futility doesn't just disappear overnight. But B, uh, Ron was trying to buy himself some time. Okay, I mean, let's be honest here. It's in Ron Rivera's best interest for people, including his boss, Dan Snyder, a.k.a. Mr. Snyder, a.k.a. The Danny, a.k.a. Donny Boy, uh, to buy into the idea that this whole process takes three to five years. But keep in mind, Ron Rivera, this past January 3rd, at his day after the game Zoom press conference off the 2016 loss to the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field in Week 17, said something that seems to be in contrast to what he said on November 1st. Take a listen. This offseason is going to be very important, very vital to, to what I think is, you know, is part of the plan. I mean, it's, you know... Um, it, it, it's it's time I think that that we, we see uh, uh, you know we, we see this team start to take that big step forward. All right, so that was Ron Rivera this past January third. Quote: This off is going to be very important, very vital to what I think is part of the plan. It's time I think that we see this team start to take that big step forward. End quote. Uh, those were not the words of someone who is planning on losing for another three years. Uh, those are the words of someone who recognizes that next season, the 2022 season, what will be Ron's third season as Washington head coach, is the time for Washington to become a winning team. But whatever Ron is thinking, whether he truly buys into this three to five year thing or whether he truly believes it, no, by year three, you better be establishing yourself as a winning team. Here's the truth. Uh, next season is time for Washington to have a winning record, or at the very least to demonstrate significant progress. You know, if Washington only goes 8-9 and nine in the 2022 regular season, but a bunch of the losses are close losses, and Washington's offense and defense are really good, then I think that we'll be able to live with a non-winning record. But the point is, it is time for progress, actual, tangible progress. It is time, as Ron said this past January 3rd, quote, that we see this team start to take that big step forward and quote, and the reason that this time has come is because the NFL has become a league of quick turnarounds to all of the people who swear that what the Bengals have done in going from the worst team of the NFL in the 2019 season to AFC champions for the 2021 season is so abnormal <laughs> and so out there and so beyond what usually happens. Uh, think again. We have in the NFL right now at least four examples of very quick turnarounds engineered by new coaching regimes. Uh, let's start with Cincinnati Bengals head coach Zach Taylor. Uh, the Bengals hired Taylor as their head coach in February 2019. The Bengals had had four consecutive losing seasons, including going an NFL worst 2-14 and 14 in the 2019 regular season. The Bengals took quarterback Joe Burrow with the number one pick in the 2020 NFL Draft. Now, the Bengals went just 4-11-1 in the 2020 regular season, during which Burrow suffered a torn left ACL and MCL in, yes, a 29 Washington win over the Bengals at FedEx Field in Week 11. But the Bengals in the 2021 regular season went 10-7-1 and the AFC North, and now the Bengals have won the AFC Championship this postseason. The Bengals' turnaround under Zach Taylor happen quickly. How about the team that the Bengals will face in Super Bowl 56, the Los Angeles Rams? Uh, their head coach, as you may have heard, is former Washington offensive coordinator Sean McVay. The Rams hired McVay 
as their head coach in January 2017. The Rams had had 10 consecutive losing seasons, 2007 through 2016. The Rams had had 13 consecutive non-winning seasons, 2004 through 2016. And the Rams in the 2016 regular season had gotten just 4-12. and Well, the Rams went 11-5. and in the 2017 regular season, which was McVay's first season as Rams head coach. The Rams then went 13-3 and in the 2018 regular season and won the NFC Championship that postseason. The Rams have had a winning record in each of McVay's five seasons as head coach, 2017 through 2021, and four of the five seasons have been double-digit win seasons. The Rams' turnaround under Sean McVay happen quickly. How about a man who Ron Rivera knows well? Buffalo Bills head coach Sean McDermott. The Bills hired McDermott as their head coach in January 2017 off him having spent the previous six seasons, 2011 through 2016, as Carolina Panthers defensive coordinator under, yes, then Panthers head coach Ron Rivera. The Bills had gone 17 consecutive seasons without a playoff appearance. 2000 through 2016. Well, what has happened since? The Bills have made the playoffs four times over McDermott's five seasons as Bills head coach, the 2017, 2019, 2020, and 2021 seasons. Of course, very much helping things has been the selection of quarterback Josh Allen with the number seven pick in the 2018 NFL draft. But A, Allen didn't blossom until his third season, which was the 2020 season. And B, McDermott made the playoffs in the 2017 season with Tyrod Taylor as the Bills' starting quarterback. Yes, the Virginia Tech product, Tyrod Taylor. He's the guy who quarterbacked the Bills to ending their 17-season playoff drought. But the Bills' turnaround under Sean McDermott happened quickly. Here's another one for you. Arizona Cardinals head coach Cliff Kingsbury. The Cardinals hired Kingsbury as their head coach in January 2019. The Cardinals were coming off having gone an NFL worst 3-13 and in the 2018 regular season. They took Kyler Murray with the number one pick in the 2019 NFL draft, despite having traded up to take another quarterback, Josh Rosen, with the number 10 pick in the 2018 NFL draft. Now, the Cardinals did go just 5-10-1 in the 2019 regular season, which was Kingsbury's first as Cardinals head coach, but the Cardinals went 8-8 eight eight in the 2020 regular season, and the Cardinals went 11-6 and six in the 2021 regular season. The Cardinals' turnaround under Cliff Kingsbury happened, maybe not quickly, but did happen within three years. And on and on I can go, okay? Other examples of quick turnarounds in recent NFL history. The Philadelphia Eagles, they went from back-to-back 7-9 regular seasons in 2015 and 2016 to going 13-3 and in the 2017 regular season and winning Super Bowl 52 that postseason. The 2017 season was just Doug Peterson's second season as Eagles head coach. The Atlanta Falcons, they had back-to-back double-digit loss regular seasons in 2013 and 2014, but went 11-5 in the 2016 regular season and won the NFC Championship that postseason. The 2016 season was just Dan Quinn's second season as Falcons head coach. Are you getting my point, okay? Quick turnarounds happen in the NFL all of the time. 
NFL teams go from being really bad to really good, really quick, all of the time. What the Bengals have done in going from the worst team in the NFL in the 2019 season to AFC champions for the 2021 season is perhaps a bit extreme, but this is far from some like alien outlier. Again, Sean McVay had the Rams in a Super Bowl in his second season as Rams head coach. Dan Quinn had the Falcons in a Super Bowl in his second season as Falcons head coach. Sean McDermott has taken the Bills from not having made the playoffs in each of 17 consecutive seasons to now having made the playoffs in four of the last five seasons. When a head coach is tasked with a rebuild, you usually know sooner rather than later whether the rebuild is working and whether the head coach is working out. Now, a few things to add to all of this in relation to our team, the Washington football team. In multiple instances that are referenced, the team, of course, got itself a franchise quarterback early in the rebuild, or in the case of the Falcons, already had a franchise quarterback in Matt Ryan. Getting a franchise quarterback is a huge part of all of this. We know that. Uh, This is why Washington getting itself a franchise quarterback is such a big deal. This also is why I'm not bringing all of this stuff up to take a shot at Ron Rivera, because getting a franchise quarterback is hard. And there hasn't been an obvious path for Washington to get a franchise quarterback since Ron took over as Washington head coach in January 2020. I mean, I suppose you could say, hey, Washington should have taken Justin Herbert and not Chase Young with the number two pick in the 2020 draft. And no doubt, Washington should have done that. But Washington's not the only team that missed on Herbert. So the criticism of Washington for not taking Herbert with the number two pick in the 2020 draft should only go so far. But yeah, quarterback is a major part of the equation for a quick turnaround. Another thing is this, and this is maybe the biggest thing of all. All of these other situations aren't Washington's situation. You see, there are bad NFL situations in need of turnarounds, and then there is Washington's situation in need of a turnaround. Uh, There's a difference between, you know, trying to lift a chair and trying to lift a house, okay? Rebuilding, say, the Rams was lifting a chair. Rebuilding Washington is lifting a house because Washington's situation isn't just about football. Washington's situation is about so much more than football. You know, it's interesting. Ron often talks about a culture change. He doesn't talk nearly as much about just rebuilding football operations. That word, the C word, culture, gets used a lot. Uh, And this phrase, culture change, that's code for uh, things here have been messed up, okay? Uh, We have a workplace misconduct scandal. We had an ownership scandal. We have a name change. We have a stadium that everyone hates. We have an owner who everyone despises and who has interfered with football operations via actions and decisions that have set back this franchise for years. And so turning around Washington isn't just about, you know, finding a quality middle linebacker or finding better receivers or even finding a quarterback. Turning around Washington also is about fundamentally altering how the entire organization functions and operates. And that, my friends, is a gargantuan task. Would Zach Taylor and Sean McVay and Sean McDermott and Cliff Kingsbury have had to deal with 
pales in comparison to what Ron Rivera has had to deal with. Oh, by the way, Ron also had cancer during his first year as Washington head coach. So I'm not here to yell and scream like some low IQ buffoon about why Washington isn't where the Bengals are. We know why Washington isn't where the Bengals are. The point that I'm making is that what the Bengals have done can be done. And in fact, is done more frequently than you may think. And as more challenging as it may be for Washington to do as the Bengals and these other aforementioned teams have done, that doesn't mean that Washington doing as the Bengals and these other teams have done shouldn't remain the goal and isn't at all possible. It is possible. It's just a lot harder for Washington, as most things seemingly are. Up next, my conversation with Washington football team analyst Mark Bullock, who will give us an X's and O's breakdown of the Washington football team, including quarterback thoughts, why Terry McLaurin's production dipped as the 2021 regular season went on, what Washington has in Antonio Gibson, and the best explanation that I've heard for what went on with William Jackson III this season. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, very pleased to welcome to the Al Galdi podcast right now a special guest, Washington football team analyst Mark Bullock. Uh, you can follow Mark on Twitter at Mark Bullock NFL, and you can read Mark's work on his Substack, markbullock.substack.com. And Mark on his Substack has just published a position group by position group breakdown of the Washington football team, some really good X's and O's analysis. Mark, nice to have you back on the podcast. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing well. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. How are you? How are you? Doing well, man. Appreciate you coming back on. So let's start with this. Uh, you follow the Washington football team. You analyze the Washington football team. 
In watching the tape and putting together these position group by position group reviews of Washington, did any of your findings surprise you? Like, did you arrive at any conclusions that you wouldn't have expected prior to doing these reviews or not really? Um, not not really. I, I think we kind of got a pretty strong view of, of where they were at as a team, certainly down the stretch. Uh, and the, the kind of goal for me was to kind of put in perspective where they are and, and what their needs are going into the offseason. And I think it was pretty clear that we came away with the, the kind of main need was obviously quarterback um, and then on defense, clearly they need linebackers um, and, you know, they, they might need a, a little bit of receiver help possibly um, depending on Curtis Samuel's health or, and they might need a, a safety if, if Bob McCain's not brought back and, and a few bits here and there. But I, I think the kind of main takeaways were, you know, they, they need a, a quarterback obviously desperately um, and, and a linebacker pretty desperately as well. I don't want to spend too much time asking you about Taylor Heineke. I think we all at this point get what his strengths and weaknesses are. I do, though, want to get your take on this. When it comes to the free agent-to-be quarterbacks this offseason, are any of them significant upgrades over Heineke? Like, we get that any one of the big four potentially available quarterbacks via trade would be upgrades, right? Like Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, and Derek Carr. But this free agent class of quarterbacks, you know, Jameis Winston, Teddy Bridgewater, Mitchell Trubisky, who Washington reportedly likes, are any of those guys, in your mind, upgrades over Heineke? Um, I, I think in terms of talent, yes. Um, in terms of necessarily fit with the offense, um, I, I'm not sure whether they would have an instant impact. Um, we, we saw with Ryan Fitzpatrick last year, it, it, he kind of spent a lot of the offense offseason saying that it, it took him a while to, to pick up the offense and, and um, it, it's quite a complex system and, and it's a different one from the ones around the NFL. It, it's, a, it's the digit system with the route numberings um, and, and so it's a little bit different from what everyone else does. Um, and so terminology-wise, it takes a little bit to, to pick up. So I think that's where Heineke would have an advantage over those free agents um, in terms of he, he's been in the system for years now, um, so he knows it better. Um, but certainly in terms of talent, a, a guy like James Winston would be far more talented than Taylor Heineke, and he'd be someone that be able to push the ball down the field a little bit more. Um a guy like Marcus Mariota has a, has a lot of nice traits, um, brings a little bit of mobility to the offense, but you know he, he struggled to put it all together and, and stay healthy. Um, and, and Mitch Trubisky is obviously a guy that they, they've been linked with a few times, and um, he, he spent time with Buffalo, who they they're obviously have big ties to Washington, um, specifically Rivera and, and Ernie. So um, they'll, they'll have a good insight in, into the kind of guy he is off the field. Um, but I, I, I don't think any of those free agent offs, off, oh, sorry, offered those free agent guys are, are kind of massive upgrades. I, I think it would depend on how quickly they picked up the offense. Um, it, certainly in talent, they, they'd be more than Heineke. But um, in terms of instant impact, uh, if they could pick the offense up quickly, maybe. But I, I, I struggle to believe that we, the Washington football team, would suddenly be this. 12 and 12 and 4 contender you know that they they they'd still have a have a tough battle of it I want to get your takes on a variety of players and position groups here. So Terry McLaurin, uh, he is great. We all love Terry. He's worthy of a big money contract extension this offseason. But his production in the 2021 regular season did lessen as the season went on. 
Was that just due to the quarterback play and the injuries slash absences on Washington's offense? Or were there things going on schematically and maybe even the fault of Terry that led to his production lessening as the season went on? Um, I, I think yeah, I, I'll start off saying yeah, I agree with you. He's an absolute star. He's number one. They should extend him this offseason. Um, I, I think they the real issue that they had was that they didn't have anyone to go with him, really, that was a, a real threat. Obviously, they lost Logan Thomas, Curtis Samuel hardly played, um, and, and Deami Brown didn't really step up the way they'd hoped. Um, so when you look at their receiver production, um, their next highest receiver in terms of yards was J.D. McKissick, and he played 11 games. So, um, And that's a running back, you know. that it, it's, not, it's not a number two receiver. Um, so... And it was quite the drop-off. It was something like McKissick had 300 yards and, and, and McLaurin had 1,000 and nobody else had anything in between that. So it, it's they didn't really have anything else around him. So teams were kind of rolling coverage his way. Um, it wasn't quite what we saw with Devonta Adams uh, with the Packers where um, at late in the season there were teams, they were literally just putting two quarterbacks right on top of him and saying, you're not beating us. But um, it was still a case of, you know, a safety would often cheat that way or they'd roll a safety over that side and they'd have a high-low guy above him. Um, and, and, you know, so it it was a lot of schematic things defensively to try to take him away because obviously he was their only real threat. Um, and, and then there was times where, you know, Taylor Heineke just missed him. Um, and that that happened a fair bit. And, and a lot of times it was um, sailed throws behind uh, throws that were behind him and and there was a lot of underthrown balls as well um and at, at his best McLaurin would come back to those underthrown balls and make them contested catches um but if a good quarterback or a better quarterback had, had placed the ball out in front a lot of those throws might have turned from like 30 yard gains into 50 yard touchdowns so um, I think it, it, it's more to do with how defenses are playing him and the quarterback play than, than anything McLaurin did himself. Does Scott Turner need to make more of a concerted effort to get Terry McLaurin touches, or is that not really a problem? Uh, I, I understand the kind of narrative of that. Um, I, I, it's tough because you don't want to say just force one guy the ball. Um, and especially when they don't really have another threat. Like, as I said, McLaurin got 1,000 yards. Their next best receiver was McKissick with 300 yards. So, like, they, they didn't have anyone else that the defense was really going, okay, we can't stop that. we got to stop those guys getting the ball as well. So defenses could roll coverage to McLaurin. So it's it's very tough to force the ball his way. And I think Scott Turner did a lot of things to try to make use of that extra attention McLaurin got by using him as a decoy and... and opening things up for other people. Other people just didn't make plays. Um, and, and so, it, yes, you'd like to see McLaurin get the ball more. I think that will happen when a, a second receiver threat emerges. Um, as kind of counterintuitive as that sounds, you, you think a second receiver threat means he gets the ball less, but it, it just means there's far less attention on him and more opportunities for him. We're talking with Washington football team analyst Mark Bullock. You can check out his work on Substack, markbullock.substack.com. Antonio Gibson. So on the one hand, he ended up being just one of seven running backs who each had at least 1,000 rushing yards in the 2021 regular season. And he obviously did some good things during Washington's four-game winning streak. But on the other hand, some of his efficiency stats aren't very good. And he had the major fumbling problem in the 2021 regular season. And he's still not really the factor in the passing game that we thought that he would be. 
how do you view Antonio Gibson? Like, is Antonio Gibson a good running back, or should Washington be trying to do better at running back? I quite like Antonio Gibson. I, I think we, what we've seen is the development of him. I think there's been a steady progression from the last two years, and, and you've seen that, that Giants game at the end of the season. Granted, it was the Giants. There was nothing to play for, and, and you know the Giants have, didn't have a particularly great defense. But what we saw was a completely different back from the guy that started week one in his rookie year. Um, and you could see a lot more patience, a lot more understanding of not just where he was meant to run, but how to set up the different blocks and to, to press the hole and cause guys to pursue, to create cutback lanes and all those kind of things. Um, that That is an encouraging sign, um, and it's something that um, a lot of backs don't necessarily develop, um, and I think that is good for him. And a guy that is his frame um was he six foot two or something like that 230 pounds um his frame his size his athletic ability to develop that feel for for running properly um is is encouraging um and and you know we saw him take on a, a bigger workload this this season which was a bit of a doubt with you know injury concerns in the past um so that was also encouraging um but obviously, the biggest issue is the fumbles. Um, and he, he had five fumbles, and, and that's two more than any other back in the league had. So um, that obviously can continue, and, and that needs to be addressed in the off season. But um, I, I think he can he can be a lead back for them. I, I don't think they're suddenly going to go and try to make a move for Alvin Kamara or something like that. But maybe um, maybe as a depth option for if if he's an injured injury concern you know, you know they, they might want to draft a guy in in kind of day three and, and and have a have a backup option Washington's offensive line in the 2021 regular season was a surprising positive for a second consecutive season you and your breakdown of the offensive line noted that Chase Roulier was the standout performer on the offensive line that might surprise some people uh what'd you like about Roulier's season which obviously got cut short by injury yeah, I, I thought he really stood out, um, especially as, you know, he, he was one of the guys like Jonathan Allen that got the contract extension uh, in the offseason. And, and quite often you hear about stories of guys getting contract extensions and then stagnating or falling off. And he just continued to improve. Um, and you could see he was doing a lot of the line of scrimmage in terms of targeting the runs. And, and that was why the run game worked, um, was because he was getting the targeting right. And, um, you know, he... he along with the interior guys, where it was Brandon Sheriff, Eric Flowers next to him, uh, or Wes Schweitzer when he came in, those guys generated a ton of movement, in, especially in the, in the zone scheme. Um, and, and that movement is critical for the zone scheme to succeed. Um, and so he was, doing a, he was creating a lot of movement. He was setting a lot of the targeting. Um, and what was impressive was the, what they could do with play-action stuff because of him. Um, they all, the, the kind of old saying with football is if you want to sell play action, you pull a guard because a pulling guard is a huge run key to an offense. Linebackers will almost instinctively just step up towards that uh, guard and, and thinking that it's going to be a run play. Um, but to be able to pull a guard, you have to have a center that can slide across and close off the gap that the guard's pulling from. Um, and Chase Roulier managed to do that regularly, whether it was Sheriff pulling one side or Flowers pulling the other way. Sheriff, uh, sorry, Roulier was able to cut across and, and cut off whatever Russia was coming from that, that vacated gap. 
um, and that allowed them to, to do those kind of play action uh, schemes. Uh, so I, I was very, very impressed with Rudy. I, I, I thought he was their best diamond until he got injured. Um, and I think that contract extension is going to prove, uh, assuming he gets back healthy and, and you know stays healthy, I think that contract extension will prove wise. Yeah, he's been really good. Taylor Heineke's uh, passing numbers on play action passes in the 2021 regular season were terrific. And uh, you just explained a big reason for why. So Washington's defense, uh, you in your review of Washington's defensive ends noted that the entire defensive line struggled early in the 2021 regular season because there was very little discipline and cohesion amongst the group. By now, I think most people are familiar uh, with these issues. What I still don't understand is why these things were such problems. I mean, this was the same defensive line group in terms of key players as last season's defensive line group. Why do you think Washington defensive linemen had these issues of lack of discipline, lack of cohesion early in the season? My gut feeling is that it kind of was ego-driven, um, and that's entirely speculative for me because I, I don't have any inside sources on that. But um, my gut feeling is that, you know, we, we heard from Chase Young and Montez Sweat, we're going to break the sack record. And, um, you know, that they kind of, it, it felt like they kind of bought into their own hype a little bit. And, and maybe the coaches were a little bit guilty of that as well, um, and kind of just letting them go and, and play. And, and rather than, you know, after the first few weeks, we started to see structured stunts and, and the you know defensive end stunning inside, tackles going outside, and you know the the things to disrupt pass protection and, and protection schemes um, that that help defensive linemen win blocks. Um, we saw that after the first few weeks, and, and that was that was when the D line started to improve. And, and but before that, it was kind of there was no real stunts. Um, if they were called, they certainly weren't being run. Um, and it was just, you know, we'll just put our four first round picks and let them go. Um, and, and we'll expect our four guys to beat their their best blockers. And, you know, occasionally it works, but um, some, you know, talent will beat better, uh, worse talent. But if, if it's not structured, you'll end up with guys in the same gap. And, and that was quite often something that happened. Chase Young would try to go inside and, Deron Payne would be taking uh, the same kind of lane and they'd bump into each other and that would make it easy to block them. So I, I think it was just, I, I, it's speculative of me to say, but my guess would be it was kind of ego-driven. They kind of bought into their own hype and, and that was what it was. It's going to be really interesting to see what Washington does with Deron Payne because if you want to keep him long-term, then this offseason would be a good time to give him a contract extension and what's the same way Washington did with Jonathan Allen last offseason. Uh, where are we with Deron Payne? Because, I mean, he's talented. I think everybody understands that. And he's not a bad player, but would he be worthy of giving big money to? And if not, is he a guy who Washington should be considering trading this offseason? Uh, certainly, if they don't plan to sign him long term, uh, I would be looking to trade him and, and get some kind of asset back that over the long term could replace the value of what he gives this team. Um, unless for some reason they think you know they, they get Aaron Rodgers and they think they're going on a Super Bowl run this year, like um, uh, unless they're doing that, then I, I would I would trade him if they're not planning to sign him long term. Um, but yeah, I I, I quite like Deron Payne. I, I think. I think he improved this year, um, which sounds odd to say because his sack numbers went down. But um, I think this time last year, 
I think fans in general had kind of the opposite views of John Allen and Ron Payne. I think everyone wanted to trade Allen and and keep Payne and sign him long term. But when I when I watched the the All Twenty Two or the film of them, it, it was clear to me at least that Jonathan Allen was the elite guy um, and the one that was consistently generating pressure. He just didn't have the sack numbers to back it up. And this year he got the sack numbers to back it up. Um, and, and, you know, he took a step forward as well. But I would also say that Jerome Payne took a step forward in terms of consistency. He, he was, he's always been a very good run defender um, and he was excellent at that again this year. But um, as a pass rusher, he did step forward. He did have a, a more consistent rush and granted it didn't, result in more sacks for him but um it, it still generated more pressure from the inside and, and they just didn't have the exterior pressure from you know chase young Monta sweat or whoever um uh, towards the end of the year certainly with those two guys out to to kind of get him any more sacks so um i still think he's a very good player obviously there's a cap salary cap thing to think about uh, i i you see teams around the league are able to kind of manipulate the salary cap to keep the guys they really want to keep. Um, I, I'd be looking to keep him myself, but if if they feel like, you know, maybe they could re-sign Tim Settle and, and Matt Ioannidis and, and keep a, a deeper defensive line group um, and then trade Deron Payne, then I, I wouldn't be against that kind of, that kind of move um, with a little bit of uh, future sight in, in mind. Is Payne significantly better than Ioannidis and Settle? Uh, he's better than certainly significantly better than Settle. Um, Settle's a little bit overrated. He, I, I like Settle. He's very penetrative, but it's kind of a risk reward thing with him, where he can, he, if he penetrates, he, he you know he, he gets into the backfield and makes the play. But to take that risk of penetrating, he'll quite often open up a big gap, so he doesn't make the play himself he will create a big gate lane for a running back to break through, that kind of thing. So um, it, it's kind of boom or bust for him. Um, Matt Ioannidis didn't have the best year for him. Um, uh, going into sort of last year before he got his big injury, um, I would have said Payne and Ioannidis and Allen were all fairly similar levels. So um, I, I maybe Allen was a step above those two. So uh, I, I think if Ioannidis is back to his best, there's not a huge drop-off from Payne to Ioannidis, um, but um, we didn't see Ioannidis back to his best this year, uh, and we saw Payne take a step forward. So um, there is a bit of a drop-off from what we've seen most recently at both players. Talking with Washington football team analyst Mark Bullock, you can read his work on his substack, markbullock.substack.com. William Jackson III, in his season-ending Zoom press conference on January 10th, said that he, in the 2021 regular season, was, quote, doing things that I never had done before, end quote. Um, I still can't shake that, that Washington gave a three-year, $40.5 million contract to a guy to have him do things that he had never done before. Um, That's obviously not ideal. That obviously is a path that Washington has uh, gone down before. As you watched the tape, what specifically were these things that Washington had William Jackson the third doing this season that he had not done before? Yeah, it was um, it was mostly it, it wasn't just playing zone. It was playing lots of they, they tried to play pattern matching stuff. Um, they, they kind of uh, they've assembled this secondary where they have Kendall Fuller, who's much better playing off and, and zone coverage with with vision on the quarterback, and and then they signed William Jackson, who's much better up on the line scrimmage playing press man coverage and, and so they had this kind of mix and match of parts and, and they tried to kind of play a bit of mix and match coverage where sometimes they're playing man sometimes they're playing zone and sometimes they were doing pattern matching where 
it starts off as zone, but you need to read the releases of the receivers to determine which guy you attach to, and then it becomes man. Um, and that can be very complex, and certainly for someone that's never done it before, it can result in you not understanding which guy you meant to cover and, and kind of looking around going, who am I covering, who am I covering, and your guy's 50 yards behind you. So um, I think that's kind of what happened with William Jackson at the start of the year is that they were kind of trying to do too many different things to fit all these different pieces together rather than stick to, you know, either sign the same kind of guys that fit the right system or stick to as simple as possible. Um, and they stripped things back after the bye week that they really went to very basic quarters, cover three, um, and, and some fire zones where it's three deep, three under, and a, an extra guy rushes. So it was basically that for the second half of the season. And when William Jackson came back, he, he played an outside corner and, you know, he was fine. Because um, he's done that stuff before with the Bengals, where they played a lot of cover one and cover three, so he was used to playing the kind of cover three stuff. So um, he he was fine with that, but that doesn't really make use of the you know they paid him this big money to be that press corner lockdown guy, and and then halfway through the year they have to abandon any kind of thoughts of trying to play that kind of coverage. Um, so I think I think his failures or his struggles kind of speak more to. Uh, a failure of the front office and, and the schematic planning of the defense than a failure of him. Great explanation. One more for you. No one played on more Washington defensive snaps in the 2021 regular season than Bobby McCain did. Uh, he's said to be an unrestricted free agent this offseason. There is very much a belief that Washington wants to resign McCain. I thought he was better as the season went on. I know that he's probably never going to be a fan favorite uh, because of that lecturing that he gave everybody earlier in the season. But uh, is, is Bobby McCain to you someone who Washington should re-sign? Yeah, I think so. Um, I, again, I, I'm with you on that. I, certainly in my Twitter mentions every after every game, people hate Bobby McCain. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, it, it's when you watch him, yes, he got burned a few times. But, you know, just about every defensive back in the league gets burned once or twice and certainly on this Washington defense everyone was guilty of it um, at one point or another this year uh, in general his play was solid um, and he gave them a, a true free safety option that they've not had in forever really um, and he's someone that they could trust playing center field at, at deep middle um, if, if they play cover three or cover one um, they could trust him and he also fit when when they were playing quarters and, and Tampa two stuff and, and um, with Cam Curl back there, him and him and Cam Curl developed quite a good relationship in terms of when they would pass guys off and, and when they would stick to their own guys and, and that kind of thing. So I would certainly look to bring him back. I, I don't think it, that necessarily means they couldn't try to re- upgrade from him. Um, certainly if there was a, a an amazing free safety on, on the market, um, if there was an, a, a Earl Thomas in his prime going into the free agency market, you know, you'd, you'd still go and try to get him first. But, you know, if if Bobby McCain is is the best option, I think that would be fine, certainly for another year or two. You can follow Mark on Twitter, at Mark Bullock NFL. You can read Mark's work on his Substack, markbullock.substack.com. Mark, excellent insight, as is always the case. Thank you so much for your time and all the best. Of course. Uh, thanks for having me on.
All right, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Wednesday show, episode 242, the episode 42.2.22 will be out in the 5 a.m. hour and thus will be out before the Washington football team announces its new name. But The episode will be more than relevant past the announcement of the new name because episode 242 will be a final goodbye to the name Redskins and will feature a discussion about why exactly this name change is taking place. There's great irony in this name change because it ultimately may be the fault of the man who so vigorously defended the name Redskins for so many years. Dan Snyder, I'll explain. Also on Wednesday's show, all postgame, an ultra busy Tuesday night in Washington, D.C. sports. The Capitals will be at the Pittsburgh Penguins Tuesday night at 7 in a big game in the Metropolitan Division. The Reeling Wizards will be at the Milwaukee Bucks Tuesday night at 7.30. By the way, did you see what came out about Spencer Dinwiddie on Monday morning? So Dinwiddie made those cryptic comments after the Wizards' last game, the 115-95 loss at the Memphis Grizzlies on Saturday night. NBA writer Kevin O'Connor of The Ringer in a piece that came out on Monday morning, wrote the following, quote, the Wizards want to move Dinwiddie because he looks like a shell of his former self and his teammates don't want him there, end quote. Uh, That's just great. Uh, Additionally, Bradley Beal now is out for the Wizards' next two games due to a sprained left wrist. Uh, The Wizards announced that on Monday. Also, lots of college basketball on Tuesday night for us to talk about on Wednesday's show. Maryland will host number 13 Michigan State Tuesday night at 7. Georgetown will host Seton Hall Tuesday night at 8.30. And Virginia will host Boston College Tuesday evening at 6. So a very busy night. Uh, Have a great rest of your Tuesday. And I'll talk to you on Wednesday. Commanders is a, is a name that, you know, is going to be a, hopefully one that people will talk about going forward. All right. So you, you like the commanders as the new team name, huh? Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean,